0: Let me open us up in a word of prayer this morning and then we'll get into our study. Father, we, we just come before you, particularly at this blessed time that we, quite frankly, can, can ponder that psalmist word of Selah, which is just to take a long, thoughtful pause at just the wonder of Not just Your Word, Father, but what Your Word reveals to those who believe You about Your Son and believe in Your Son and all that He has done on our behalf to redeem us from a course that was horrid, Father, we thank you for this blessed gift. We thank you for this blessed child. We thank you for this time to gather as a body of believers and just the sweet fellowship. We just thank you, Lord, for your blessed continuing work in each one of us that love you and that blessed truth that we love you because you first loved us. Lord, may you Illumine our hearts and minds to your truths. May we just honor you and exalt you. May we do this always in your very precious name, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we're going to continue on um, in our study, and as you've seen, it's... uh, we are tilling a lot of ground around this passage, um, and, and I think we'll see that more clearly as to why that's so important um, in a couple of weeks when we, when we begin to make our transition from, uh, from this universal and um, humanity-wide indictment on humanity, uh, and, and you'll see how Paul unpacks that Uh, in this beautiful book of Romans but I I want you to think about particularly in this time where we call to mind the birth narrative of our Lord and the amazing clarity at which the scriptures have revealed this child and then all of the the wondrous orchestrating of the Holy Spirit uh, and the Triune God to bring this child into his own creation Think about that. (laughs) He created and then entered that creation. And as we've seen and read before, the very tree that we crucified Him on was also His creation. Just ponder that. The wonder of God, right? To just shake our souls to to those, those truths. Think about this baby as we're going to read about him this morning in our worship service. But he came in vulnerable, viciously sought from the very beginning, was he not? Killed who knows how many little babies to get to him. Ultimately, unrighteously judged and condemned unjustly. Ferociously mocked, beaten, and then murdered. That's, that's what Mary had to ponder when all this was... Beca- I'm sure she was so overwhelmed at that tender young age, but this is what she ultimately had to ponder, right? Right? But the question we want to ask and answer the next couple of today and then New Year's Day is, to what end? To, to what purpose, right? Because what we're seeing in, in this passage is just the complete, exhaustive condemnation of every single human being that has ever breathed life. That's what we're reading. Paul's laying down a foundation for us in this first chapter. And it's so important that we understand it. Because as we'll see, he's going to shift from the entirety of humanity to the you's. As you begin to look at chapter 2. He moves from the entire of humanity to you who think you're this and you who think you're that. So that he can come back to Romans 3 that we all know so well and say, no, not one of you, and it is until we understand that truly in our heart and in the truth and observation of our own lives, I don't think we can fully appreciate what Christ has done for us. But I want to build on that this morning, and then I want to build on where is this going and why, why was it this way, right? Right? I hope you've all pondered that it's not it's not irreverence towards God. it's just help me understand, Lord, why it was this way right We used the word i used the word contradistinction last week big, big word um, i think I think the easiest way to think about it is is there's From this passage, we see the the blessings and the curses on humanity, right? And we tend to mix those, right? So we're we're faithful here, so we're blessed, and we're not faithful here, so we're cursed, right? But there's also a blessed people, and there is a cursed people. That's where the word contradistinction comes to my mind. Think about this. Take the word apart. Flip it, and it's distinctly contrary to one another. That's what we have. We touched on the last couple of weeks. I think is an incredibly important part of understanding this passage in Romans 1:18 through 32, and that is the fact that we were created in the image of God, blessed in the garden. Communing with God at perfect peace with God and God had given the necessary commands And Adam and Eve knew them How do we know that? Because Eve recited them right back to Satan Did God really say she said yes he did But did she believe God did she worship God did she exalt God in that truth no right Here's a little question for you. What was Adam doing? Wasn't he standing right there? Yeah. Stone cold, quiet. Not protecting his wife. Not shielding his wife. Not leading his wife. Stone cold, passively watching. And he never said a word, did he? Ever think about that. And yet we see that he was the one to whom the fall of the entire human race is attributed to Take a long ponder in there about what was going on there Okay But what we see is this image of God that we were created in through the irreverence toward God to disobey him plunged the entire of humanity into a fallen state, and this is the other thing we've learned, right? Into a fallen state in which we're all in that fallen state sliding deeper and deeper and deeper into irreverence and wickedness. The two, right? That we talked about last week. John 3.18, right? We all know John 3.16, but what does John 3.18 talk about? It says, For they are condemned, what? already. It is our pre-existing state. And then sliding deeper into this wickedness and irreverence. That's the point that is so important. And, and I think about this. There, there's the vertical worship, the reverence towards God, the godliness that, that Paul launches into in our Romans 1, 18 and 21. And then there's the unrighteousness, all the things we do to one another, right? Those two things, Think, just use the cross, right? There's the vertical reverence and worship towards God. And then there's the horizontal relationship with all of humanity, that ungodliness and that unrighteousness. And that's what you see Paul unpack in this passage. Go to me with Gen- to Genesis 4 for a moment on this thought of this vertical and horizontal. And I'm going to show you a couple of things about this passage that I find just stunning. Genesis 4. And just look with me at verse 3. We talked about this last week, but just look at this. In the course of time, I think this will help make the point. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. Right there. Stop. What's he doing? That's worship. Remember when we started this study? It was all about the worship. And either the reverence or the irreverence of that worship? Because worship is not always reverent, and it is sadly often reverent. Utterly irreverent. Think of the false churches, the heretical churches, the te- churches that teach horrendous things right this morning. Irreverent, smoke in your nostrils worship. That's a little bit of what's going on here with Cain, right? Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. It's interesting how that theme, the ground, flows through this. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. Interesting, right? Points us right to who? The firstborn of many? The Lord. (laughs) The constant pointer, all the way back in Genesis 4. The sacrifice of all those lambs, right there right? The firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, the best of the best. And here we see the response from a sovereign God who knew both their hearts and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Your irreverent worship of me I reject. That's what just happened, right? Right at the very beginning of humanity. Look at Cain's response, okay? There's the vertical worship. There's the ungodliness going on right there. Now we see the wickedness go this way. So Cain was very angry First emotional response, anger, right? It's why we're so, so cautioned about our anger, right? So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Not only are you angry, but your whole countenance has dropped. You ever see people like that? If you do well, here comes the counsel of God, okay? And any of you who come alongside someone struggling with sin and just continues to fall into that sin, and you just think, why can't I help this person? Because we so want to help them. Consider this passage. Who's the counselor here? God, the Almighty God counseling and here you see this this beautiful expression of God's decreed will and God's revealed will because he's about to give Cain his revealed will right here and if you do not I'm sorry why are you angry and why has your face fallen if you do well will you not be accepted if you just worship the way I have given you to worship will that worship not be accepted And if you do not do well, so here's the vertical worship. And now we're starting to see the anger and how that anger is going to start to take root. And how horribly and quickly it just becomes what? Unrestrained. This is a picture of humanity. This is a picture of Romans one. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. That's the pregnant sin, is it not? Have you not seen the people who just love their sin, they pursue their sin and their life is just pregnant with sin. It just gives birth to more and more and more sin. Because it is lying there, crouching, just waiting to devour them. What else would be lying there, crouching? Its desire is, the ESV says, contrary to you. It's opposed to you. It is opposed to the image, I made you in and our conscience tells us so does it not if we haven't seared it away our conscience screams at us you, so you see everything God did in the creation and uh, making us in his image active in this passage its desire is contrary to you but you must rule over it and then just the most horrific reality from the counselors Counsel to verse 8 Cain spoke to Abel his brother just boom went from God to his brother whom he is fuming in what? Jealousy over but what's amazing is you can almost hear him thinking I'm going to worship God the way I want to worship God and I could care less about the way God has prescribed for me to worship him What a fearful thought. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. There's that wickedness going horizontal that Paul brings into this passage in Romans 1. Right out of the first generation of children. The Lord says in verse 10, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me. And it's interesting, isn't it? What happens to Cain? He gets banished from God. Come back to Romans 1 with me. That is the abandoning wrath of God. And what is also interesting is Cain's first reaction is, I can't go out there away from you. They'll kill me. And it's interesting that God put a mark on him that they wouldn't kill him. In other words, he had to suffer with the knowledge of what he had done. It's just a stunning passage when you think about this study back to Romans 1. And where does this get us? This... This ungodliness, this wickedness that you see now unfolding. Genesis 6, what What happens, right? The whole world was so desperately, what? Wicked. Horrendous things being done to one another in humanity, right? Well, this is the description in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 that Paul gives us about where we're coming from, where we're at, and where we're headed to as a humanity. He says in 2 Timothy 3.1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So it's been said that we're in the last day, but he's now compressing it into the latter days of that last day. In the last days, you're going to see things get a whole lot worse than they are right now. And the question becomes, 2 Timothy 3.1, the question becomes, why? And it is because we are seeing this generational abandonment of God and society. And that society, and we see it today, simply wants God to go away. They don't even want His counsel anymore. They just want him to go away so that they're not constantly convicted by the fact that there is a God because he put his image in them and he gave them a conscious awareness of that God. And they are desperately trying to wipe that away. Now keep that in mind as the church Because this is what we're witnessing into, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be amazing set of descriptions that go both vertical and horizontal. Lovers of self, right? How hard is it to be be around someone who is utterly consumed with themselves? Lovers of self, lovers of money, the root of many evils not evil many you can't count the ways the love of money will make this wickedness far worse amen do you see that today proud arrogant abusive the shocker disobedient to their parents right why is that in there you raise a child to have no respect for their parents from the commands that God's given us, how are they going to treat everybody they encounter? Because much of that is rooted in love of self. Right? Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. See how the, you see the, the vertical and the horizontal? Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self control. There's the restraints removed. Brutal, not loving good, there's the wickedness, (laughs) treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, and here comes the ultimate vertical, rather than lovers of God, having, here comes, false religion. Let me be even more specific. Here comes man-centered religion. The man-centered religion that says, I can do it. Because look what it says. Having the appearance of godliness, the external piety, but denying its power. What is the power of the gospel? It is the regenerating, miraculous work and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He's not doing it. I'm not giving the Spirit the glory, Christ the glory. I'm going to give myself the glory. Kind of makes you think about that old timey song, right? I did it my way. May it never be among us, (laughs) right? But denying its power, and then he says, avoid such people. But wait a minute, John said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. There's a contradistinction, isn't it? It's not that we don't witness the truth to these people. And by the way, when you get involved with witnessing to people deeply steeped in false religion, you had better know your scriptures. Because it is the power of the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit that unlocks that dark place, right? He says, avoid such people, meaning don't fall into their patterns of worship. Careful with their doctrines, right? Avoid all of that, witness to them, right? Come back with me to Romans 2, as we look at this kind of contradistinction, this godliness and wickedness, and as we see this society growing worse and worse and worse and worse. Romans 2, 6 through 8, as we'll get to, you know, in a year. He will render to each one according to his works. There's another good spot for a long, thoughtful pause. Because he's not saying he will render to each unsaved person. He's saying he will render to each one. And we see that in verse 7. To those who are by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. Seeking Christ. Seeking the triune God. Seeking their glory. Not ours. Right? He will give eternal life. Verse eight, here it comes. But for those who are, what? See the root? It's really an important part of our witnessing and our counseling. At the root of every bit of the wickedness, conflict is self-seeking. Guilty is charged, right? That's the point. Self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but here it comes. But obey unrighteousness. They have, with the absence of God, in the absence of the the Spirit of God, an absolute law in their flesh to be wicked, right? But obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury, And as we've seen in this passage, the reality we should see, I believe we do at this point, that the entirety of humanity is living under this condemnation of God's righteous law. And as we remain in this state, our sinful lives just grow worse and worse and worse. When the Lord saved you, you were certainly not as bad as you could have been, but you were well on your slide And if it weren't for the grace of God and His redeeming grace snatching you off of there and He would have let you go, you would be just like this description. That is a sobering thought that would be repulsive to anyone who has a very man-centered view of salvation. Right? And that restraint, we know, we read it last week, really shows itself in the power that it has right now on society because in 2 Thessalonians 2, we see what happens when that restraint, the work of the Holy Spirit, holding the law of God, restraining society, convicting society, maintaining some sense of law and order, is removed. And we see that. We see, I read some of it a few weeks ago. These cities that have decided to defund law enforcement are a picture of this restraint being taken away. Probably not, you know, I always have to be careful, but Target had to write off $400 million this year. Do you see that? $400 $400 million from the walk-in, take it, don't stop them, out the door they go. That's just wide-open lawlessness, and it's not even stopped. It's embraced, which is the last passage of this first chapter, right? So, just drug you through that pit again. James is going, yeah, you did. Go with me to second corinthians 2 and what i want us to see now is look at how the church is being used look at the glory of god look at where this is all going and look at our role in it so we're going to come up out of that and we're going to see why we were yanked off of that slide right any shred of thought that it was because you were i'm i'm good lord Take me, <laughs> right? I hope not. That's certainly the writers of Scripture's intention. But look at this, please, and look at <laughs> this beautiful purpose of the church. Second Corinthians 2:14. But thanks, be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Always is the best word there. And through us, pay attention to this very carefully, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That's the beautiful purpose of our life in the church. Spreading the fragrance. Beautiful, isn't it? How Paul uses that. Of the knowledge of him everywhere it's like it's exactly what Jesus told the Gadarene and it go tell everyone everything I have done for you which means you have to tell them what you were before you encountered me and let the fragrance of that encounter just ooze out of your life right Verse 15, for we are the aroma of Christ, but look what it says, to God. Now there's a rather arresting passage, isn't it? Every godly, faithful, worship-filled thing we do is an aroma of Christ. That flows to the father. We get to do that. We get to be that. What a wonderful motivation for being faithful and to just put off right is, which is really where Paul goes. But look what he says the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and that person may have not even come to salvation yet. This is this glorious sovereign God saying you're going to witness to them and then they're going to witness to them and then 10 years later they're going to witness to them right in the midst of their worst disaster and they are going to come to know me right then and there. And if you see Luke 16, 9, all those dots that connected to that person's time of salvation is beautifully presented, right? In heaven. I just love that. To those who are being saved, but also among those who are perishing. Very important not to lose sight of that. Our witness has a dual purpose that's in the hands of God. And it is simply to put the truth in front in love and compassion that we see in Christ. And what they do with it, we don't own at all. Look at Cain being counseled by God. right look at it says it's amazing 16 to one a fragrance from death to death fearful to the other a fragrance from life to life and Paul just steps back and says who is sufficient for these things And it is interesting. I love the way Paul, uh, he thought comes to mind. Well, who is sufficient for these things? And then where does he go next? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. What is he saying? Who's sufficient for this? A Gadarene who had just spent who knows how many years in the most perverse state of humanity. And his encounter with Christ. He was sufficient for these things, right? See my point? Mm. And I think this is part of the reason why this passage in Romans 12, which Paul gets to later, but just look at it with me as we keep moving along. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, for everything that I have done for you, that God has done for you, to present your bodies, here comes the worship, your daily, your constant, reverential, love for God, worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right back to where, do, and Paul's just pulling everything he's taught in the first 11 chapters right into this passage as a transition. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This constant, the, the word is neuthateo, right? And it's a beautiful word. We see it in a couple of different places. But it is to take the word of God and put it in your mind. Take the word of God, put it in your mind, and renew it constantly. The mirror that you walk away from, right? Especially as we get older. I love that because it keeps the word of God new and fresh all the time. But he wants us in the word all the time in our minds remember our study of the mind how important that is how it drives our behaviors the heart the mind the motives the intentions the behaviors that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and what is acceptable and perfect isn't that the way we want to worship God right We see this word used again, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and neutheteo. Here's the word, admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's part of the church as well. Witnessing the word of God, having it in our mind, having it renewed, having a right understanding as our worship of God and in our witness to the people that God brings into our life. That's that word admonishing. To one another in all wisdom, which just makes our hearts spring with psalms and hymns and spiritual song, with thankfulness, vertical worship, in your hearts to God. Now, I want to read Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. And it's just a beautiful summary of everything that we have just discussed. And I just couldn't pass it up. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. If you ever want to unpack the last 16 weeks of this study with someone, take them to this verse and just look at how precisely it describes what we've been learning over the last 16 weeks. Ephesians 4, 17. I'm going to read through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, Look at the words he uses. In the futility of their minds, sound familiar? From Romans 1. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. The image has been wiped out. The abandoning wrath of God, banished. Because of the ignorance that is in them, what they have filled their minds with, their motives, their intentions with, why? Due to the, their hardness of heart. Thinking to be wise, they became fools, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And do you also see the language here? In Romans 1, we see who is the first cause of it. We sin against God. God hardens our hearts. And over here, we see that we harden our hearts. Brings to mind Pharaoh, doesn't it? Ten times he hardened his God his, and said, I'm God, you're not and God hardened him. Due to the hardness of the heart, verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Here comes the sexual perversion that we see in Romans 1. Greedy to practice every kind of what? Impurity. There's that wicked horizontal evisceration of the image of God. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. So Paul's going to pick us up out of there, James. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, Paul always qualifies, examine yourself, right? (laughs) That you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, through deceitful desires remember that old man that came right into your new life with you there he is and he'll wreak havoc with a brand new believer and he'll very stealthily wreak havoc with a maturing believer which is again why we need the church to come alongside of each other and very transparency transparently love on one another as a sanctifying means of the church right And here it comes again, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. There's that new Theto again, and put on the new self, and here it comes. And this is what I wanted you to see: created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There it is. There's Paul's point. We refuse to worship God. We refuse to teach treat humanity as we should. And God gives us over to worse and worsening cases of that, right? So they are in our salvation, and in our they are increasingly putting the image of God back on you. That's sanctification. We're being restored back to the garden in many ways. But we'll never get there, will we, in this life? Which is, by the way, our, the focus of our study next week. I want you to kind of transition um, with this thought. I don't know if you've encountered One Perfect Life from Dr. MacArthur and I think a team of people where they harmonize the gospel. But I'm gonna read from that. It's really rooted in uh, Matthew 22, 34 through 40 uh, when Jesus is confronted about the greatest commandments. I want you to pay attention to Jesus' response. These are the two primary commandments that have packed into them all the other commandments of the tables we talked about. Look at Jesus' response, just to make this point about our vertical and our horizontal. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. Everything you do, everything you think, everything you do. This is the first and great commandment. And here comes the second side of the table. Is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Godliness and righteousness. Think of the cross. Just put those words on it. Right? Because this is what the Lord says is at the very center in which everything else unpacks from. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And just to give you an idea how serious this is, and yet how gracious the Lord is and how this is unpacking, go to 2 Peter 3, 8, and I'll read through 11. And this is for that one that says, not today, would you just leave me alone today? I'm kind of having fun today just leave me alone come back another day Felix right but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years now bear in mind this is second Peter so where is he going very eminently he's going to a cross that he refuses to have right side up because he's not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that his Lord was It was eminent at this point. That the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And then this beautiful verse nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing, here's his revealed will, don't confuse it with his decreed will. Not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance and has he not demonstrated his great desire for that by giving us this precious baby in the womb of a young lady that was born to die in the most horrific of ways to convict wicked men and redeem humanity Right. just beautiful so Peter says verse 10 but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night like that and then the heavens will pass away a lot of eschatology in here with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and he's almost as if he's saying don't fall in love with this place it's going and it's going to go hot and hard when it goes but it'll all be in the Lord's timing won't it and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. There's the warning. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be? Holiness and godliness. Right? And he goes on in verse 18 in this precious just heart of Peter. Did you see the tender, tender Peter? But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, I want to turn our hearts to the worship the next couple of Sundays in this precious little child that will be born, who we get the enormous privilege of seeing pray his high priestly prayer on the night of his cross. And in the scripture we'll read this morning. We'll read his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Think about that when we read Mary's Magnificent this morning. But go to John 17 and let's end here. Go to verse 1 and let's listen to our Lord pouring out his heart to his Father on the night in which he will be under so much emotion that the capillaries in his face will explode. I don't think we know that kind of, right? This is his prayer. And we want to ask, where's all this going? What is the purpose? Well, here's part of the answer right here. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. From eternity's past, here it is. It's now, right? That's amazing to think about. Glorify your son. There's your answer. Period, end. It's that simple. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, so don't worry about what's going on right now. Christ has authority over all this flesh and they are sovereignly unfolding everything. To give eternal life, here is their divine purpose, to all whom you have given him. We pretty well know by now that we are the undeserving recipients of the most glorious gift heaven can offer, right? I think we should know from this passage this is not about us at all. This is about the love that exists within the triune God that existed when there nothing else existed in their solitariness, in their perfect contentment, the greatest mystery is unfolded. They desired to have an eternal family. That's why they created. That's why the fall. That's why the murder of Christ. It's why sinners are absolutely hopeless so that they and they alone may receive the glory. And that's exactly what Jesus is praying to the Father in verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And you could add, and so should we be about that work. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed and they hatched all of these plans out of eternity. Think about the day you were saved. That was the day that was planned specifically for you in eternity's past for the triune God to shape the entire events of humanity in the world to that very moment at which you were saved. Now there's a wondrous thought that ought to leave us in beautiful reverence towards our holy God.